chapter number 51. And uh, if I can get that, I just put that uh, down out of the way, brother. All right, thank you. Isaiah chapter 51, it is a blessing to be here. And this is what the Bible says. You know, you, you stay long enough in a place and you, uh, and you use uh, the resources and the influence that God has given you to make sure that when they put you out of your habitation, you have somebody else take you in. And so uh, this is the place, amen. And so I'm just kind of keeping the lines of communication open so that when they kick me out of Wisconsin, I've got a place to go. And so uh, Brother Reno just found that out just right now. I just, uh, just informed him. But at any rate, we're so thrilled to, to be able to be here again see some of you folks that we've known for a few years and, and many that we have not uh, become acquainted with. Uh, but of course, we love Pastor and Sister Reno and anything we could do to be a blessing to them, they're always a blessing to us. Um, and, and we appreciate it so much. They're such a help and an encouragement for all the years of ministry that we've been there. Uh, Brother Reno, of course, grew up in that church. He, is, he was there before I was. and uh, But I outlasted him, amen. So I have... <laughs> Uh, and every, men can turn anything into a competition. The, the pastor that started the church was there for 21 years. That's a long time, but I determined to win. So now, I, and so I didn't just win. I'm I'm going for a tougher record to set, amen. And so I've been there 32 this September by God's grace, and uh, we're excited about what God is can do. Uh, we you say, well, how's the church doing? Well, half what we want, but twice what we deserve, amen. That's about the, the course of it, but, uh, but we are excited to be here for the few days that we're together. And so as I said this morning, I plan on preaching on, on the garden of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 51, I find as I was reading through the book of Isaiah, this phrase that captured my thoughts, my attention. It's only found a couple of times in all the Bible, once here and then once in the book of Genesis. And, uh, and it mentions it as the garden of the Lord. And in this passage, we'll do a little bit, a little bit of interpretation, amen? And uh, so we understand what's happening. And then we'll, I'll tell you when we're going to begin application uh, for our lives. In verse number one of Isaiah 51, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit, Whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. In this passage of Scripture, you know Isaiah as one of the major Old Testament prophets. And he is reminding uh, Israel that God is not finished with them. God is going to restore them. And he's going to make even their desert places like the garden of the Lord. There are many places in Israel today that are extremely fruitful. I mean, it's, it's lush and green, and uh, it is surrounded by desert, and certainly to the south and the southeast, 
Uh, it is desert. If you go down along the Dead Sea, and uh, and uh, 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 you know in that part, and you certainly will drive through desert. And uh, I'm not sure why anybody wants to go to the Dead Sea. It's dead. I went and I checked. It was dead. And uh, but people like to go and float in the Dead Sea and smear mud from the Dead Sea on them and. And it stinks, and it's nasty. I don't watch. I didn't lose anything in the Dead Sea, Amen. But but there are parts of Israel in the central part of Israel that are fruitful and and lush and growing. There's uh, along the the south uh, uh, southwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, where they grow date palms. I mean, huge tracts of of date palms in there and. And, uh, and those are so sweet and succulent, and they, and they, they make uh, all kinds of things out of them. The Valley of Megiddo is, is just a lush, green uh, a place right now. We know it's going to be used for something, amen? When you're standing on the edge of that looking across, it doesn't, look, doesn't strike you necessarily as a valley until someone mentions it, and then you can tell that it is a valley. But it's so huge, it's so vast. That it doesn't strike you as a valley, but when you read about what's going to happen there, it's got to be big, amen? Uh, but, but even at that, when you think about what's going to happen there uh, in that place, uh, in the battle of Armag- at the Battle of Armageddon, it, it, just, it is a sobering thing as you stand there just over that area all stretched out at what's going to take place in that place. And God is telling the nation of Israel, don't forget that uh, God called you out of nothing. God made Israel from nothing. God didn't come down, and we're, we're going to gonna get to our sermon in just a minute, but, but give me just a few minutes here, and then we'll pray and get started. But uh, God didn't come down, and out of the nations of men that existed, choose one of them for himself. The Bible says that God came down and found a man named Abram, and he chose him a nothing out of nowhere. He didn't choose his family, his people. He chose an individual. And from that individual, he made a nation. Abraham, Abram became Abraham. And to Abraham, God gave the promise. And the promise became Isaac. And we know how that goes where Abraham and Sarah, they doubted the promise of God, and so he, she gave her handmaid to Abram. And, uh, and of course, we, we know the birth of Ishmael and, and all of the, the, the family branches that come off of that and have caused uh, great trouble and great problems uh, and still today because of doubting the promise of God. But God's promise became Isaac. And, the, and then Jacob becomes Israel. And then we have the nation, them as a nation. And so God didn't need to choose a nation. He, he, he brought one into existence. He formed one out of a man named Abram. And that's what's referenced in, verses, in verse number two, uh, excuse me, in verse number one of our text where it says, remember or look to uh, the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. I want to to remind you today that when God saved you, 
you are nobody and nowhere. We were all bound for a place called hell. We are so, we live, and I, and I am getting to the, I am on the edge of a, a generation that's not going to exist much longer. Uh, I've, I've lived longer than I should have, longer than most thought I would. But I am getting into this age group where these are the ones dying away. These are the ones that, that those experiences, those memories are the past. And, uh, and it won't be here much longer. We live in a culture now that says you deserve everything. That, uh, you know... Uh, you, you know, you have not just the inalienable rights talked about in our Constitution, but you have, man, you just, you have rights to flourish and et cetera, and the world owes you a living and, and uh, society and culture owes you everything, that, that uh, a place to live and, and uh, free health care, these are all uh, natural born rights and, and, uh, and for the whole world. Uh, they say, it's uh, everyone in the world. Well, well, who's going to provide that? You know, they don't talk about it. where's all this going to come from because they've always just been able to take it from those who produced. Well, when there's nobody else producing, then where's it going to come from? You see, the, the government will then just, t- I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although I've met a few conspiracy theories that I like. But I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you can, all you have to do is open your eyes and see that they drive business out of business and then they take over the business in order to save it. And so the government will be the provider. It'll be the, the, you know, the mommy and the daddy of the world. But we have a, a, a culture that is growing up that expects that they look for that they vote for that and so it is it is inevitable that it is going to happen the bible simply says it this way things are going to wax worse and worse you say well then what's the use because we are called to be salt and light you know if there's nothing else you can do but on the way out of this world give a, a, a thumb in the eye to the devil on your way out, then I, I say that's pretty good purpose. If all you can do is be a thorn in his flesh and just one more time say, thus saith the Lord on your way out, then say it. Oh, how we need to remember that, that we were hewn out of a rock, we were called out of nothing, and God saved us. And we, if we got what we deserve, we would all be in hell, not eventually, We'd all be in hell today if we got what we deserved. We instead are recipients of God's never-ending grace. Oh, how what a, a wonderful thing it is. The singing tonight, the singing today has been upholding and reminding us of the grace of God. And I, I'm fearful that we yawn at the grace of God. We too soon forget as we drive in comfortable cars to sit in comfortable seats in a comfortable building 
and wait to be comforted from the preaching of the word of God that we forget that we were nothing and on our way to an eternity in hell. Remember the pit you were digged out of. Remember the, the rock you were hewn out of. God has, and by the way, there is a New Testament parallel. New, the, New, the New Testament church does not replace Israel. I don't believe in British Israelism or replacement theology, how, however you want to turn it. I don't believe that. God's not done. That's what the, the, the seven years of tribulation is about. God's finishing uh, settling up with the nation of Israel, and then all Israel will be saved. God's not done with them. But there is a New Testament parallel. That in the New Testament, Jesus Christ started the New Testament church. And we are here for a purpose and for a time. And until God is done with us, we're here. But when he's done, we're going. Now I pray like Brother Reno, I pray it will be soon. And uh, let me add my few little resources to the things you'll, left be, be left, you'll be leaving behind. And, uh, and you can have all those too, brother, and figure out what to do with them. Amen. <laughs> Your pastor treats you terribly. You ought to move to Wisconsin where we love people. <laughs> Sad thing is, where do you learn that? <laughs> and so we have this reminder from Isaiah to the nation of Israel that God is going to once again restore Israel. Some of that, the groundwork is being laid today. It's being, uh, I mean, they are recruiting people, they are recruiting uh, Jews from all over the world. When we were there one time, we met a young lady from California. And uh, she was on her way to en enroll in college courses uh, at one of the major universities in California. And she came across the little kiosk there where they were recruiting people to immigrate into Israel. Well, she it caught her attention because her family was Jewish. They weren't practicing Jews or anything. She had never heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but, but, uh, but they were, she was Jewish, and so they caught her attention. And they said, oh, your, your, your uh, family is all Jewish. You should, you should immigrate to Israel. She said, why would I do that? And, uh, and they kept talking to her and kept talking to her. And, and after a while, she just said, I don't know why, but it just all of a sudden sounded like maybe something I should look into. And she looked into it, and she immigrated into the, to Israel, and, uh, and she's an Israeli citizen today. And, uh, and she, she got in there, and she, then she found out once she was an Israeli citizen, everybody has to serve in the military. So when she first got there as a, a college-age young lady, she gets put right in the military. Well, she doesn't speak a word of Hebrew. She couldn't take orders on the battlefield. She couldn't, she couldn't even function in the military. So they made her a, a glorified uh, tour guide for other Jews immigrating back into Israel to show, take them around to show them Jewish history because they, they're completely ignorant of it. And they are recruiting people. There's, there's whole sections of, of, uh, uh, of Israel that speak, uh, whole towns that speak Russian because there's so many Ukrainian and Russian Jews immigrating uh, back to Israel. And, uh, and, and it's flourishing and, and it, there's, I mean, it's, it's green, it's lush, and, and all of these things. We have a guy in our church that just, I mean, he's on Israel watch, you know. 
He could tell you every. He could tell you how many red heifers they've gotten so far, and and uh, he, you know, he he watches all that stuff, and 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 I just say, well, brother, as long as you're watching it, I don't have to, and uh, and you just keep going, man. We're we're uh, we're worshiping a person, not a place. I'm looking for Jesus to come. I'm not worried about a red heifer count and and things like that. And if you that's, if that's your thing, I'm for you. I'm not against you, uh, but I'm just saying we've got things to do. And so you come down to the book of Revelation, last book, last chapter, said, Now the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is preaching Jesus Christ uh, to a lost and dying world. But God is not done with the nation of Israel. He's going to bring them back and establish it. And he says, I'm going to make even your deserts like the garden of the Lord. And I want to make an application tonight in the few moments that we have together for the garden of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us to take this biblical example and use it for your honor and glory to challenge us today in 2023, living in the United States of America, many miles away from Israel and, and very likely very likely no, no Jews even present tonight. There might be. There might be. But if not, Lord, we still have an application for our lives to help encourage us that you desire or what you desire for them and what you desire for us. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This, this phrase, the garden of the Lord, takes us back takes our minds and our hearts back to the book of Genesis where God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, he made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden. And that reminds us that this was God's desire for them. Amen? God's desire was that they live in a place that he had set aside and designed specifically for them. Now, we to that end... I believe God has purpose and design for you and I as well. Just because God is a God of purpose. God is a God of design. When he created the worlds, when he spoke the world into existence, the Bible says he did so on purpose and with design. Uh, he made it exactly as he wanted to make it. He formed it and then placed man in it. We need to understand what a wonderful place it was. But when God mentions the garden, he doesn't think about the garden like you and I think about the garden. If I asked you before the service tonight, I suppose I should have done this. If I asked you before the service tonight, what do you think about, just what's your impression of, what, it, what jumps into your mind about the garden of Eden in the book of Genesis? <coughs> You'd probably say, oh, I, oh, it's a place, place with no thorns. You know, no heartache, no death, certainly no death. A place where they did not know what sin was and, and uh, just, I mean, just, just sit back and take it easy. Everything, everything set, everything cared for. <coughs> and, that's, and that's what we think about the Garden of Eden because we think about things in terms of our comfort and our needs and, and our desires. But that's not what God thinks of when he thinks of the Garden of Eden, uh, the Garden of the Lord. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it here. We just read it in verse number three. 
the Bible says he'll make even their desert places like the garden of the Lord. Notice this. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. You see, when God thinks of the garden of the Lord, he thinks, he thinks about what all these things brought to man. Joy, thanksgiving, gladness, and the voice of melody. The voice of melody is an interesting phrase. <coughs> the Bible and the word voice in the Bible means he gives everything a voice, amen, a sound. The word melody here is often translated in the Bible, a uh, psalm or its music. And so the voice of melody really is, I'm sorry, I got to go there, the sound of music. And so the hills were alive with the sound of music. And that's really, that's really when God thinks of the garden of the Lord, that's really the way he viewed it, a place where there was joy and, and peace and love and thanksgiving and the sound of music. And God would come down and fellowship amongst the trees in the garden of the Lord. God desired that for Adam and Eve. What a loving God to want that for them. But by application, I want you to understand that tonight, I believe God still wants that for us today. God wants, and I'm going to talk about basically interchangeably two aspects of our lives today that still apply. That is, number one, the Christian home. God desires the Christian home to be a place of joy, a place of of music, a place of comfort, a place uh, of, of uh, gladness, a place of thanksgiving. Say, well, you know, the Christian home, man, you got to have possessions, you got to have all these things. That's not what God thinks of when he thinks of the home. When God came down and made Adam and then he said, not good that man should be alone, and he made Eve and brought her to the man and formed the first Christian home. I remember uh, 30, 20, 26, 27 years ago, I think it was, uh, Brother Mark Preem was a single missionary in Ukraine. And, uh, and as the Bible says, he found a, a wife, he found a good thing, amen? And, uh, and so I remember flying to Ukraine to actually perform a wedding ceremony in Ukraine. Now in Ukraine, you have to understand that to be legally married, you, it's not, you, you don't go to a church. You have to go to a government building they called the marriage house. And there's a government official. Uh, this was a, a lady. I don't know what the title. It wasn't a justice of the peace. But there's a, a lady there that, that's her job. She's the one that officially does the ceremony. And, uh, and that's how you, it's the only way to be legally married in Ukraine. So I went there, and we had talked about it ahead of time, of course, and we said, you know, we're going to have a Christian wedding before we go to the state wedding. And so double married, amen? How do you get out of that one, guys? Uh, you're, you're double married. And uh, I remember we got there, and, we started to, and he started telling people we're going to have a Christian wedding first. And even the people in the church said, what is a Christian wedding? And through talking to them, I found out they had no concept that God 
uh, established the home. It's it's totally beyond their, uh, it just never popped into their heads. And so the, the ceremony was explaining that God created the man and he said there was not a help meet for the man, a help worthy or fit for the man. So he created, took a rib out of the side of man and that rib he made into Eve and brought her to the man. And God the Father was the first father of the bride as he joined them two together. They were shocked. They were astonished that this had anything to do with God. But I feel like today we are just as out of touch with the Bible, even in our culture. People don't think about God anymore. It's just, what do I want? What makes me happy? But God desires the Christian home to be a place of joy, a place of gladness, not filled with, it, it can be, listen, there's, there's all kinds of fancy stuff. And I want to you know, thank you for the mission house over here. I don't know that I've ever stayed in such, um, what's, all the technology. I, I came out of the bathroom the first night. I said, dear, this is either a fancy bed with a light under it or ETs under there or something. I don't know what's going on in there. But there's a light under the bed. She goes, really? She's already in bed. I go, yeah, there's, there's a light under the bed. I said, I'm just going to assume it's supposed to be there, and I'm going to go to bed. I'm not even going to investigate. <laughs> We're murdered in our sleep. Maybe it's somebody under, under their, you know, on their cell phone looking, you know, how to dismember an old couple. You know, I don't know what it is. I just, I just hard to say. <laughs> Never seen a bed with a light under it. You know, and, and you just want the lights on, you just start talking. I, I can't figure that out. It ignores me. Google ignores me. It won't, it won't turn. I, I tried to play a trick on my wife. She was out studying, uh, you know, at the table. And I'm in the bedroom, and I'm going, you know, Google, shut off the kitchen lights. Google ignored me. It just, it just, just I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I obviously don't know anything about this stuff. But you can have all the bells and whistles and all the technology and fancy without joy and without thanksgiving, and it is not pleasing unto the Lord. And you can have a place with none of those things. And I don't say one is mutually exclusive to the other. I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other. But if you had to choose, choose a place of joy and happiness, gladness, and the sound of music therein. Because God desires that for you. And God, number two, not not just wants that for your home. He wants that for your church as well. (coughs) He wants the church to be a place where it's filled with joy. Yes, I say do the buildings as nice as you can do them because they're for the Lord. All right? I say do it first rate because God deserves that. But it can't be about that. If it's all about that, then, man, churches in third world countries don't have much of a shot because they don't have it available to them. But can they, can they or can they not be just as pleasing to the Lord? If it's joy and happiness and the sound of music within, I mean, the sound of melody. And so God designed the, the garden of the Lord. It was designed as a special place. And when he thinks of it, he thinks of a place that meets our needs. He thought of it as a place where the, the inhabitants of it were filled with joy 
and God himself would come down and the Bible says he would walk and talk with him in the garden. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that must have been. No sin, no suffering, yes. But the garden of the Lord was a special place. The home should be a special place with a biblical foundation. What changes that? What, what messes with that? Sin corrupts it. Sin gets in and corrupts what God desires in the home and in the family. God desires the, in the home and family to be ruled by love, by the love of God. But we get very, we, we get caught up in ourselves and we forget the Lord and we just, we do our own thing and, and it becomes about us. And we think, whoa, yeah, and I've seen the Bible uh, misappropriated so many times, preacher, where a man will say, well, bless God, I rule my house because God told me to rule it. Yeah, you've corrupted that. You've corrupted that. Yes, we are supposed to show leadership. Yes, we are supposed to set a pattern. But it's not dictatorship. It's never, it was never designed to be a dictatorship. Sin corrupts, and it corrupts absolutely. The same thing happens in the New Testament church. God desires the church to be a place where the Word of God is preached, where there's love in abundance. It's a special place. I want you to understand when God made the Garden of Eden, it was not the only place. It was a special place. I don't know, I, I, was, I was reading this yesterday and I, and I just, uh, I went back to the book of Genesis and go back there with me just, just for a moment. Don't lose your place in Isaiah. But go back with me to the book of Genesis, if you will, chapter number two. And I, I, I just kind of, I don't know that I'd ever thought of it in this way before. But the Bible explains that God has created all of the things, right? God's created the, the, the light and the darkness. He's created the, the plants and he's created animals and etc. And then we get to chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden. He's already made everything. He's already created this, uh, all, all the plants and the trees and all that. And then he, he, he planted a garden. This is different than when he spake the worlds into existence. And I'm not saying he did it with his hands. I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to at all demean uh, our, our image of God at all. But I don't believe this is part of the six days of creation. It's after that, and from what God has made, now he plants a garden. And he plants the garden for a special reason, for a special purpose, and for special people that he has created. Do you understand? There's still there's other places to be. But God made a garden for them. I know there's other places to be because when you look in chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. 
So the garden that God planted was special. It was separate. It was, it was something he made for them. I don't know that, I don't know, I didn't think about it to just this moment whether it would be wrong to call that their wedding gift. I don't know. But he certainly made a special place for Adam and Eve. And he put them in the garden with all the trees, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, including the tree of life. He put them in the garden. And I want you to understand that from that, what I'm applying is that to us. You can, you can be wherever you want to be in your family. But there is a special place called the Christian home that God designs for you to have a, a refuge from the world. The world is not your friend. The world is, 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 will suck everything out of you as found the prodigal son. The world is only in you, into you for what you can give to them. And once you have nothing more to give to them, they have no more use for you. I wish I did not have personal experiences of young people that I know that have grown up in our church and went out into the world. And for years now, I, uh, listen, we've got, we've got some people that have grown up in our church and are serving the Lord. We've got people like, like uh, Brother Mark Preem, Brother Bob Reno that are serving the Lord. We've got other young men that have been homeless for the last 20 years of their life because they decided to go the way of the world and invest in the things of the world and got involved in drugs and alcohol and in and out of jail and prison and, and, uh, and just, I mean, just a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I find out, oh, okay, they're, you know, the old uh, broken down church buses that sit out behind the church bus sometimes, you know, he's living in the back of one of the church buses. I had to go talk to him. I said, man, you got to get out of here because there's all kinds of vandalism goes on. You're going to get blamed. Well, I just have no place to stay. I said, well, I understand that. I wish I could do something, but, I, but you can't stay here. Homeless, living in, living in the back of a, an old church bus, all the windows broken out. But listen, it didn't have to be that way. God has designed and desires a special place a place that is separated from the world called the Christian home. He desired a place called the New Testament church. But we have to choose to be there. Adam and Eve sinned so that they were removed from that place. Sin corrupts everything. Understand this. The problem with, with that why your home is not the way it ought to be is not her fault, not his fault. It's sin. And to the, to the extent that we can get sin out of our lives, we invite God into it. To the extent that we can put our, our selfishness and our pride aside, we invite the blessings of God into it. Say, oh, it's too late. No, it's not too late. God can restore what, what sin has robbed us of. The same thing with the New Testament church. God desires the church to be, yes, I think... Man, praise the Lord, all the activities, all that going on. I get it. But if, it's, if it doesn't, if it's not based on loving people, if it's not based on caring about the needs of people, 
if it's not based on, on acceptance and forgiveness, if it's not based on these things, then it's not what God wants it to be. And many churches have lost their charters. They've lost their reason to exist because they become about numbers, because they become about things, because they become about properties and what we own and all that we, look at us, look at our shiny city on a hill. The church should be a special place just like the garden of the Lord was a special place. Let me say, give you several quick things about the garden of the Lord. First of all, the garden of the Lord was planned and organized in every way. Planned and organized in every way. You say, well, it wasn't very smart of God to put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. But you know, it's because you don't understand God. That even in his planned place, there is the opportunity to disobey or obey the Lord. Because God has made us in His, think about this, God has made us in His image. That's the reason you have a free will. Let me tell you something about God. God is self-determinate. That means God does what God wants to do. No, now, now, He's also omnipotent, which means He can pull it off. And God is also holy, which means he will never do anything but that which is good. But he doesn't seek permission or get advice from counsel. He is self-determinate. And when he made man in his own image, yes, he made him a tripartite being, body, soul, and spirit, yes. But he also made man self-determinate. Now, man is not omnipotent. So you can't pull it off. But you do get to decide which way you're going to go. You do get to decide whether you're going to be what God wants you to be, the kind of Christian God wants you to be, whether you're going to submit yourself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit or you're going to do your own thing and make your own way. You're going to run your house the way you want it. You're going to make your church the way you want it to be. You can do that because God has made you self-determinant. But understand what I'm saying. God desires for you. He only wanted, by the way, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me ask you this. Before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did they already know good? That's all they knew was good. That which was good, that which was holy, that which was right. What God wanted them not to experience was the evil. But the opportunity is always there for a Christian man to leave his family, for a Christian lady to be unfaithful to her spouse, for Christian young people to turn away from the things of God. The, the opportunity is always there because Satan's temptation is always available. <coughs> but God being our helper, we need to understand that the garden of the Lord was a special place that was planned. It was organized. Everything we need is provided you say, well, you know, we don't have much and we lost everything and this and that. Those things don't make the home. Those things don't make the home. Love and commitment. What, is, what does he say when he thinks of the garden of the Lord? Joy, gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. <coughs> you talk about a low-budget home. That doesn't mean, you don't need lights under the bed for that. 
Matter of fact, it'd be a little less scary without lights under the bed. I don't know. Pastor's going to, he's probably got it all wired to his phone. He's going to start messing with me now. He's going to be touching, you know, thermostats going up and down and doors sliding open and closed. And he's going to be messing with me. So the garden of the Lord was a place of plan, uh, where everything was planned. It was a special place, different than any other place. It was a place, number two, of security, a place of security. In other words, they were in no danger as long as they were there. When they left, God put an angel at the gate of it with a flaming sword. Turning out, I don't know about you, but it scares the life out of me just thinking about it. Amen? Stay away. That's, what I, that's the lesson I learned. It's a place of security. It's a place, uh, the only place, uh, the, the, excuse me, the garden is not the only place to be because when he sent them out, he sent them from the garden. But it is the best place to be. It, is, it was the best place for them to be, for Adam to be, and for Eve to be. And at the risk of getting corny, I'd say, where never is heard a discouraging word and the skies were not cloudy all day. That's how you know it wasn't Seattle. Know oh, that we would live in such a place. You say, well, my home was not such, but can't you just for a moment sit back in the chair that you're in right now and just imagine what it would have been like to grow up in such a place. And I'm not talking about the Garden of Eden. I'm talking about a Christian home where encouragement dwelt where love was the glue that bound together, where there was the sound of melody, where there was thanksgiving and joy and peace. Wouldn't it have been nice to grow up like that? And wouldn't it be great for your kids to also have such a place? And I believe God has provided the opportunity in the Christian home. He delivered them a perfect home in a perfect place, but it became what they made it into. Think about this. God has provided you and I a perfect home in a perfect place. I don't say that this world is perfect, but he established a perfect relationship that mirrors the relationship of Christ and his church. Mirrors the relationship of Christ and his church. But it's what we do with it that matters. Because we can accept it and build on it and enjoy it. And enjoy the fellowship of God as he comes down as it were in the garden. And fellowships with us in our Christian home. Or because we are self-determinate, because we have free will, we can choose to ignore the commands of God. And find what it is to know good and evil. Too many times people seek out help after it's too late. They come to the pastor and say, Pastor, can you, you know, my, my wife has left me. She's taken the kids and gone to, I don't know where, where do they go when they, I don't know where they go from here. But, um, you know, but they've gone and. And, and it's, it's too late. It's too late. We've, the damage is done. And you say, well, preacher, can't you fix it? You expect him to have a magic wand. 
but it's just not that way. I have to hurry on. I have to get done here. Number three, I believe the place, the garden of the Lord was a place of beauty. Amen. You say, have you seen it? Don't have to. Don't have to. I know the gardener. And if he made a special place for a special couple, I don't have to wonder about that garden. I'm sure it was a place of beauty. The Bible says this in Psalm 96 and verse number 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You say, why do you read it so slow? Because I want it to sink into your mind that what God sees as beautiful is holiness. He looks at holiness and he says, that's beauty. Beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. My wife and I each have our own gardens because we don't agree on gardens. So we have separate gardens. She has her garden. I have my garden. And, uh, and it needs to stay that way. Her garden is flowers and herbs. My garden is stuff you eat. It's vegetables, amen. And so, and, and once in a while, she'll pull Eve and want to rebel and sneak something into my garden that doesn't belong in my garden. She wants to, she, I remember the, the worst disaster ever. She talked me into putting mint in my garden. See, now, I'm not the only one, dear. It's not just me. So just, just a little bit of mint. There's no such thing as a little bit of mint. Mint takes over the world. It, it ate Hawthorne, the whole town. It, it, just, it just consumed most of Wisconsin. It just, I mean, it just... The mint wouldn't stay where, where we put it. It took over the bed, ran everything else out of the bed, and then and that's okay. Well, we got it enclosed because that's in a raised bed surrounded by timbers and all around by rocks. We've got, you know, Godzilla is contained. No. Grew right down under, into the rocks, and up through the rocks, into the raspberries, climbing up through the raspberries, mint everywhere. I don't exaggerate. It took me years years to get rid of the mint. And so now, there's a great chasm fixed <laughs> between Mrs. Wagner's garden and my garden. Where I grow tomatoes, I grow cabbage to make sauerkraut, I grow peppers, and I grow uh, eggplants, and I grow beans, and I grow peas, and I, I grow stuff that I want to eat. And I think it's the, I mean, I look at her garden and I go, why cumbereth the, the ground, you know? <laughs> but beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. I have no doubt that this garden that God made was a place of beauty and brought joy to them. Prior to the fall, brought joy and, and peace and tranquility and a place where God would come down. And just visit with them. A place of fellowship. A place of fruitfulness. By the way, don't forget, God sees holiness as beautiful. A place of fruitfulness. The Bible says in John 15, 
God desires us to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and then fruit that remains. A place of variety. It wasn't just one kind of tree in the garden. The Bible talks about multiple kinds of trees. That God, think about this, out of all that God made. Matter of fact, you go back. Go back to Genesis. I want to show you something here that I just noticed in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. All you Bible scholars out there. Ready? And verse number 5. I assume you verse 4 and 5. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field... Before it was in the earth. Every plant of the field before it was in the earth. And every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain uh, upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. Before they grew in the earth. Every plant, every herb. God made them before they grew in the earth. Say what does that mean? It means that God put them in full grown. He didn't have to plant a seed, wait for it to come up. Amen. I've tried that. I'm not very good at it. You know what I'm better at? Go to the nursery. Look at plants that look good and say, I'm going to, and I take them home already growing, amen, and put them in the garden. (laughs) I'm better at that. I've tried the other. This means that God, before they grew in the earth, before they had, because God hadn't, he, caused, he had never caused it to rain. They hadn't had that time at all. God put it in fully mature. So it looks old, but it's not old. He creates Adam with full maturity. He looks old. The day that God created Adam, he was technically one day old. But he looks fully grown. He's, he's created with maturity. Our twin granddaughters. When they were born January 27th, they were technically one day old. But they didn't look one day old. They didn't look one day old. They didn't look one day old for three months. They didn't look one day old. And even then, not quite so much. Now, we, my wife uh, got a hold of our daughter today. And just from the time we flew out here, where they took a couple of quick steps, and we flew out here three days ago, now they said we can't catch the one. She just, she just zips across the, I mean, she's gone. We, just, we, try, we can't even get the camera up fast enough because she just, and that, listen, that's the, way, that's the way it goes. But this, this place of variety where God provided everything that they needed in this place, the home, the home is such a place not everybody is the same. The, not everybody's the same in the church. God has given you spiritual gifts differing one from another. You know why? Because they're all needed. It's a place of variety. It's a place, number six, of happiness, gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. God's garden, the, the garden of the Lord, was a place where God came down and fellowship with them. You know, I believe this, preacher. I believe that if a home is what it ought to be, I believe it's a place where God will come down and fellowship in that home. I believe his presence will be there. 
I believe that of a New Testament church too. Listen, I've pastored the same church for 32 years with God's help. It has not always been a place of unity because it's a church. Right now, there is a, just a good spirit in the church, and, uh, and we're enjoying that, amen. A spirit of unity, wanting to see God do something, wanting to see revival, wanting to see God pour out his best. And it can be that, and God wants this place to be that, the garden of the Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to say, first of all, I don't know about your home. I don't know anything about your home. I don't know who belongs to who. I couldn't pair a husband and a wife in the crowd if I had to. I don't know who your children are. I'm out in the foyer this, a- this afternoon, earlier today, saying I saw y'all related. And I said, are you brother and sister? And the young man said, no way. Wanted me to know right away he was not related. I don't know who, what your home is, but God does. But let me ask you this. Is it the garden of the Lord? Or is there something that needs to happen to reclaim some of that which sin has lost or destroyed? Is there pride that needs to be dealt with? Is there, is there holiness that needs to be interjected into the home? So that God would say, this is beauty. This is beauty because it's holy. Love and acceptance and encouragement and strength and help. I don't know what your home is, but I'm just asking you, is it the garden of the Lord? And I don't know as much about this church even as I would like to. But if it's like most churches, sometimes there's disagreement and bickering and a lack of unity. Maybe self-centeredness and pride. I don't know what it is, but you say, well, I can't make it all be right on my own. But listen carefully what I'm going to say right now. You can do 100% of your part. You can do 100% of your part to make the church and your home the garden of the Lord. A place with His purpose, a place of beauty and provision, a place where, listen, forget all the stuff. It's a place of joy and gladness. A place where there's the the, the voice of melody and thanksgiving. And it doesn't matter what you have or don't have. That's that's the kind of place you want to be. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you stand to our feet. The piano's already playing. If God has spoken to your heart, it doesn't matter what it's about, whether it's something with the home, something with the church. Just step out and come and find a place and say, God, forgive me for letting sin rob my home or rob my church of the love of God and the peace that God wants it to have. Maybe you've not been coming alongside others as you should. Encouraging them, helping them, loving them. Maybe you're holding bitterness for something. Maybe pride gets the best of you. Oh, we need to come to this place of prayer and say, God, 
forgive me.